Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the big weekend Buckeye Talk, Douglas Marie, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird cleveland.com raising your game which i find a very interesting question because you can go different ways with it we are doing which player on the defensive ball side of the ball needs to raise his game the most for the buckeyes in 2021 and which player on the offensive side of the ball needs to raise his game for the buckeyes the most in 2021 nathan i like this and as i sent it out to the texters we're each going to do our top five on each side of the ball then we have our texter vote i like raise the game because it can be you go from like an average player to a good player. You can go from good to great, or you can go from great to the best in the country at your position. And you're trying to evaluate like sort of what the team needs most, where they could really use a guy to make a jump like that. But there's all kinds of jumps, right? Which is, it changes, I think, how people look at this. Yeah, I think I had about three different names in the mix for both of these at one point, just because you can, you can look at it different ways. Is it a guy who is already good? but you think might be able to get to great and he needs to get there because of the impact that that can have. Or is it someone like, like, you know, last season, like someone like a Haskell Garrett or Tommy Togiai, who's just been sort of rotational. And if and actually those guys turn out to be great to me, that's not the best example, but just someone who steps forward and solidifies a position. Is that enough? A position of real need? Like, is that what's, what's more filling a big hole? I think there's a lot of ways you could go with this. Uh, we want to give credit. Occasionally. I think we don't, we forget to give the credit again, the texters, drive a lot of this stuff this was from the 419 came up with this topic most important player on d and on offense not quarterback so quarterback is out because of course it's quarterback that needs to step up for 2021 so from the 419 thank you for this steven i think it's interesting if we look back right and say well either who a year ago would have won a vote like this or just as we look at the season who did it and who was the correct answer? You know, Nathan just mentioned somebody in Tommy Togi. I, I think there are multiple guys that would have fit this category a year ago that helps, you know, think about going forward, right? I mean, like your guy, Garrett Wilson, I think it would have been a perfect example of this is he was a very good freshman. And then as a sophomore, he was like a borderline All-American. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. Yeah, you use Garrett Wilson and you can use Nicholas Petit Frere, two guys where raise your game, but they mean two totally different things. For Garrett Wilson, it's more, can you just take that next step? In your second year after being a five-star who was in the rotation and had a role, it's time for you. Are you on that path? Are you continuing down that path? While for Nicholas Petit Frere, it's okay. Your first two years haven't necessarily gone the way you would expect someone who was a top 10 recruit, the number one tackle in the 2018 class have gone. Can you win a job? Let's start there when you talk about raising your game and then what happens when you get on the field. And then he ended up just being, I mean, he might be an All-American this year. He played that well last year that he was at least an All-Big Ten level of player. So it's it's interesting when we talk about raising our games, I think when we go into context with some of these guys, it's can you just be better than you were last year, but also what how we view them and what our expectations are, that what we already think may be their ceiling in comparison with other guys if they can maybe change our opinion of them. I also think it matters how many other candidates there are to 
raise their game instead of you at your position. Yeah. Like if you don't raise your game, well, someone else just raise it and they'll be fine. Like the team will be fine. Maybe you'll get passed or you won't be as important, but the team will be fine. Or is it like, well, like if you don't get better, it's going to affect the team because you're going to be out there regardless. I think that matters a lot. I would have said a year ago, I think Petit Frere and Garrett Wilson, Steven on the offensive side of the ball were the two best examples. I agree with that. I think defensively, Nathan, as you said, I think Tommy Togiai and Haskell Garrett are exact examples of this kind of thing. I think Jonathan Cooper was another great example of this. I think those are, those are five guys from a year ago that they were better in 2020 than they were the year before, and it had a direct, obvious influence on the team. That, again, they, they were different ways you did it, but every year, Nathan, there's guys like this, but you can see the impact. I mean, Jonathan Cooper going from a rotational guy to a the defensive end who played the most and played at a high level helped Ohio State immensely. Yeah, he was their best defensive end last year. I don't know, actually, if we would have thought of him, though, in this exercise last year, because I think we would have been picking maybe some of the same defensive ends we'll be picking later in this podcast as the ones, because we, we saw a higher ceiling for them. And we, we saw what difference it could make if they got to that ceiling in 2020. And I don't, I think we maybe were sleeping a little bit on the ceiling of Jonathan Cooper, another guy in, in almost a similar way, Josh Proctor would have been somebody that we probably should have brought up a year ago if we were doing this exercise. As I'm sure a guy. we would have. I'm sure we would have. Right. Mm-hmm. A guy who needed. But I also think he, he might not have been in the same way that we're talking about, like Garrett and Togi, because I think we assumed a certain level of play from him. And then I don't know that didn't really necessarily turn out to be the case. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm really intrigued by this because I feel like there are I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by who we pick on defense. I think there's there might be 11 guys on defense. Yeah, and I think there might be like three on offense. Right. Like yeah. that's that it's it's I was almost I said, so we're each gonna we each did our top five on each side of the ball. I almost was gonna say, give me your top three on offense and your top ten on defense. So, but we'll do five and five. And for the texters, again, sometimes the texture stuff feels like homework. I didn't make them rank. Like I could have had you, I could have had the textures rank all this stuff. I just did vote for somebody. And there are a couple obvious choices. And so there's a bunch of people who got 1% of the vote, but this would have been too much to rank. So we want <laughs> text paying for text should be enjoyable. It should not feel like you are doing your master's thesis and defensive players who should raise their game. So we will work in what the texters said. Um, let's start with offense though, because I do think offense is a little quicker and a little more straightforward. And we'll do it right after this on Buckeye talk. So guess what? We're only going to do offense because we went long and it took an hour to do the offense. So this is offense only. Defense will come Tuesday and then we'll do an hour on defense and then we'll be able to take our time and go over this. It's an interesting discussion, but that tease sets you up for the next two podcasts here at Buckeye Talk. So uh, get ready for that. Focus on the offense for the next hour. All right. Back on Buckeye Talk, offensive players who should step up, raise their game in 2021 my number five and i think this guy was clearly in my top five was not at the top but my not my my number five is garrett wilson because i think like if he makes a Devonte smith kind of jump if he goes from like he's very good to like he's a heisman finalist like that's a huge deal and i think he has more jump possibility than olave does i think olave is what he is which is great Right. But like, what's is Chris Olave really going to be better? I don't know. What could Chris Olave like? I feel like. How do I say this? I think it's possible that like Garrett can be a 10. Is this going to come out wrong? I feel like maybe Garrett can be a 10 and right now he's an eight. And I feel like Olave can be a nine and he's a nine already. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like, Stephen, yeah. do you know what I'm saying there? Y- yeah. Yeah. No, it's there's there's ceiling. Everybody's ceiling isn't the same. And, and Garrett Wilson's is, is higher than what Chris Olave's is just from base value of he's a five-star recruit. Yeah. Top 20 player in the country. And Chris Olave was a late bloomer, but also Garrett Wilson was a thousand yard wide receiver as a sophomore. That's, I mean, the, the number of games that allow it to happen, but he was a thousand yard receiver at a school who has five thousand yard receivers in the history of the program as a sophomore. So at base level, as a third-year guy, 
even with Chris Olave back, that's his floor is a thousand yards. And he has to go up from there in a program who doesn't have a lot of thousand yard receivers. So yeah, you have to say his ceiling is higher because his floor is already where Chris Olave's ceiling is basically. But it's about, but it's not, but it's about how it affects the team. I mean, I think like if Garrett Wilson is the exact same player he was in 2020, I think they're fine. They're good. They might win the national championship. If Garrett Wilson is a Heisman finalist, like they might be the favorite to win the national yeah. championship. That's why he at least made my list. Steven, was he on your list? He was number four. No, sorry. No, he was number five because of some of those reasons. It's, it's third year and you're peak yourself as a five-star recruit. So I just want to see where he goes with it. Now that, now that, you know, we've seen, okay, he's, he's, stamped himself as a clear five-star recruit who has turned into a five-star player. And in a world where you have a first-year starting quarterback who's never thrown a pass and Chris Olave might have just – he's the best version of himself and the only other guy who's going to get the ball consistently is Garrett, it would be nice to have that slot receiver who is also going to move outside sometimes. Maybe they'll run jet – who they're just going to do stuff for Garrett. Be the ultimate – version of what an Ohio state wide receiver is going to be in the Ryan day era. I think there's a point where we can just clip the Steven means opinion of Garrett Wilson and just drop it in every time I can pre-record. It. Yeah. It's like, yeah, cause that's, but that's part of it too. I mean, he might move around a little bit. He might be a, just a different weapon in the offense. Nathan, did you have him on your list? I didn't have him on my list. And to me, it's, I, I still think of those two guys, Olave and Wilson in tandem so much. Although I guess it, it, we did see down the stretch last year when there was no Chris Olave that that affected Garrett Wilson. And if that same scenario were to present itself, that really can't happen again. I think Garrett Wilson needs to find a way to still be more effective if, if Olave is not in the picture. But I don't know if you can – that's a tough thing to, like, assume will necessarily happen. My intrigue about the offense and the receiver position, as we'll see on, later on my list, kind of comes from some other spots. But I will say – but listen, I mean, this is – I can't remember what we – but – so Bama had Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. Jalen Waddell was the primary guy. When he went out, Devontae Smith won the Heisman. Ohio State had Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. When Chris Olave went out, Garrett Wilson got worse for a game. Right. Right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's a one-game sample, and that's probably not a fair. good secondary. Against against a really good secondary. Not even against the good but some of that is, is how much did Alabama's, you know, the way they approach things with Devontae Smith. We're talking Smith. Northwestern. Talk about Northwestern, though, right? Well, no, he's, he's talking about your comparison to Devontae Smith. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying how much did Alabama's you know scheme and how much did their approach change once Jalen Waddle went out so they could get find all these different ways to get Devontae Smith open, especially since they had the rest of the season do that. Meanwhile, in that Northwestern game, it was we're gonna keep attacking you the same way all the time with Garrett Wilson. Even if it doesn't work, we're gonna keep banging our heads. Yeah, no, 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 I don't buy I don't buy that. Okay. Garrett Garrett could have gone crazy against Northwestern and he didn't. I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to like but, I mean, I think in a one-game sample size, it's not a great sample size. I mean, like, the, like Fields is awesome. Wilson is awesome. Olave didn't play against Northwestern. Northwestern has a good defense, but then they didn't, they didn't look great without Chris Olave. And, like, they had the opportunity. It could have been like, all right, guys, here we go. We don't have Olave, but we're still going to light him up. And they didn't. So, I mean, that's like a, you know, it's a .5 mark against you. Um, all right, Nathan, who is your five? My five, and this is actually someone who I've sort of been a little bit, I don't know if dismissive is the right word, but just a little bit suspicious of as far as what their impact could be. Um, but maybe that's the exercise. So I picked Cade Stover. I had and him I too. Yeah, I, I did had too. Him too. And I don't, I don't know if that is, I think, man, so, so I, you guys had him two and three. Correct. So I think I still no, no, no. Made I had him. I, I said I picked him also. Also. I, okay. uh, I, I picked him fourth okay. on okay. my list. Steven, you had him third on your list. I do. I All right, do. Nathan, go ahead. So maybe that's still actually reflective of my my suspiciousness of, of what his impact could be. But as far as guys who we don't know what their role could be beyond special teams, who in theory could could bring something special to this offense or bring something unique to this offense, and it could be a limited role but also an impactful one in that small limited role. Like, does he become something more like uh, like an like an NFL H back? Like I'm thinking of like a like a Jim Kleinsaucer kind of guy to really reach back no, and get a name like he doesn't, but, but, but I'm just saying like some kind of a, a more versatile role than just a tight end. Why, but why they need a tight end. Why does he have to be versatile? 
I guess they do need they need a second tight end sometimes. They need they Luke Farrell. Right, but they don't need uh, he's not gonna be Luke Farrell. Why not? Why can't he be Luke Farrell? That's he's the not kind of player he is. I think he's uh, we'll see. I'm suspicious that he would be Luke Farrell in twenty twenty one. But they that's what they need. They need yeah. an inline tight end who can block. It's not Ruckert. Um, Ruckert has become more like that over the course of his career. Yeah, I know, but, but you want to throw Ruckert the yeah, ball. Who, on the, the tight end, who do you want to throw the ball? You want to throw the ball to Ruckert. You do want to throw the ball to Ruckert. I guess I'm just – I don't know how much they'll need – They. it'll be interesting to see how much they use the two tight ends in 2021. And that's so, to, so he is the second tight end. The question yeah. is how much they use this, the two tight ends, right? right? That's what you're right. Which is what you're saying, Stephen. You had him higher than anybody. Go ahead, Stephen. I did for those exactly. I, I I've obviously also been more vocal about four wide receivers than anybody on this podcast. But I do think that when they do go twelve personnel, especially in the middle of the field, it opens up a lot of different things: the play option passes, the deep balls, and stuff like that. And to not be able to do that because you don't trust the second tight end. I mean, Jeremy Rucker's going to – but just be having that option to keep that alive, that 12 personnel stuff in the middle of the field, I think is valuable in this offense, especially when you have a power run game with a guy like Travion Henderson or even Master T, whoever the running back is, if they get going, to be able to hit guys over the top. That, that's, that's what makes Chris Olave most valuable is in those situations. People don't put four obviously. I, I, I don't even know. I think you could go through the NFL season and college football season and find the number of snaps where four true receivers were on the field together. I don't even. The Buccaneers have done it a couple of times, but they also. Who? With who? Who are the four receivers they put on the field? Uh, four real receivers? It's yeah. not Gronk split out wide? It's uh, it's usually Gronk, but sometimes it's a four. That, that's receiver. not receivers. I'm talking personnel, not line. They've not done it a couple. I, I obviously haven't watched a lot of NFL film to be able to break that down, but I've seen it a couple of times. So, I mean, and and I think they the Buckeyes are going to say a lot of stuff in the offseason, like, and they have. Like, we did 12 personnel because we had the tight ends. We wanted to use them. And we like to match our scheme to the personnel and use our personnel strengths. And they're going to say a lot of that stuff. They're going to come up and use a lot of 12 personnel anyway. I think they want to do it. I think it's I think a lot of people want to do it. I think you want to line up with run game personnel and then throw. And so I think you want to do that. I think the best way to maximize Ruckert is probably in 12, right? That maybe you have him on the field with a second tight end and that opens up more chances to throw to him. I think they need Cade Stover on the field. I think like Cade Stover sort of to make the offense work, uh, they have to have a second tight end. They trust. Listen, this guy's a top 150 national recruit entering his third year. I know he switched positions, but this is not like some random, who's this? This is like a really good football player who's been around for a while, right? This is his third year, right? Not his second year, because his first year here, he, he wasn't anything. Then in year two, he switched, right? And now he's going into year three, second year at the position. He is the guy. It's not going to be somebody else. And they need him. They need to put him on the field. So, like, I think he has to be on this list. Nathan, you sounded maybe a little uncertain. Like, were you surprised that we also both had him on our list, Nathan? No, it makes sense. And I, I guess I was surprised. I was surprised that somebody might have him as high as two when I misheard you there. But I, I, again, the other thing we have to remind people in this context is if it's not Cade Stover, the other two tight ends on this roster, as far as like scholarship tight ends, are redshirt freshman and Joe Royer and a true freshman coming in and Sam Hart. And that's it, except for right. Ryder. So that's, why that's he's what on adds to the importance. Right. Which adds to the importance of why Stover needs to. Be, at least become I, last year. I still don't know that we thought of him as a tight end. I mean, I know he was listed as a tight end, but he didn't go out there and play offensive snaps, a tight end. He was a special teams guy for the most part. He needs to, need tight to end. think of him as more of a tight end this year. A uh, quick thing, just for the four wide receiver talk, the Buccaneers did it in 66 snaps against the Raiders. They did it 15 times. And then the following week against the Giants, they did it 14 times. That's so pretty it's a, good. It's a little wrinkle. I'm not saying it's a lot, but yeah. Even with we, even with Ohio State, not a lot, but oh, I would be surprised. If they we won't saw do it fourteen it. times a whole year. Yeah, Ohio State will not have four true receivers on the field more than fourteen times a whole year. I'll make a bet on that right now. Mark it down. That's a good market about now Monday. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll save that for later. Right now we're talking about tight ends. No, yeah, I last... know, but but it is it's an interesting balance of scheme and personnel because it's about mm-hmm. the personnel. So that that is a good. Um, that is a real thing. Like if you're doing it 14 or 15 times in the game, that's like a real usage of that. Yeah. So I guess what that's Evans, Godwin, Scotty Miller, Antonio Brown. Yeah. And I'm going to guess Miller added and Antonio Brown. Um, but yeah, but that's, I mean, like you're, you're just like, you're, cause you're not running out of that then, right? I mean, that's, no, that's I, I think it's, it's your role. You're, that would be a situation where your offense is rolling and you just yeah. want to throw it for an right. entire series. Right. Which also you probably can't do when you don't have the, 
greatest quarterback of all time. Who's going to just drop back and find the open guy, no matter what. Um, all right. Who is your number four, Steven? My number four is Matthew Jones. I got a lot of offensive linemen on my list. I think it's, he was solid last year, obviously when he was a starter, but the point of the matter is he's replacing an all American who might be the first or second in guard taken off the board in the NFL draft. And can he sustain, can that get to that level as a former top 100 recruit? Can Matthew Jones, you know, take his game up a level and, at this point, secure that side of the line, which they love to run through that side. And if, and when you've got a true freshman, potentially a true freshman running back, or it's a guy whose ceiling is pretty low with Master Teague, to be able to rely on your interior offensive lineman like that would be a blessing for this Ohio State team. We think it's going to be a pretty good solid offensive line, but I think a guy like Matthew Jones and then some other guys I'll name later on my list can take it from just being a really good offensive line to maybe the best offensive line in the country. I did not have Jones on my list. I considered him for the reasons you said. The reason I didn't put him on the list is a. I think if like he's not that good and they replace him, they'd be fine. Like I think you know if you get in a world where like we're talking about if maybe you slide Harry Miller back to guard and you play Luke Whipler at center or you play Inakamahi or you know I think they maybe have a couple other options. Even though Jones, I think obviously is. If we think that the line's going to be the interior line's going to be Harry Miller at center and then Paris Johnson, Matthew Jones at guard. Jones is that guy that you assume is going to be that other starting guard going in. And the other thing is, if he's the fifth best offensive lineman and he's just okay, I think they're okay because like they had a really good offensive line last year and they had a guy on the offensive line at guard who was just okay and they were fine. So I get it. I agree with your premise and I agree with your reasoning, but he didn't make my top five. Nathan, did he make your top five? He was in the mix for my top five, but ultimately I decided to pick someone else. Okay. Um, so that's no. So just to cover some of these guys, Garrett Wilson for our texters was number six. Um, Cade Stover was number seven for our texters. And Matthew Jones was negligible. Handful of votes. So not... Uh, not a lot of love for him um, there. But so we're there in the zone. I mean, six and seven, Wilson and Stover it, on kind of the same page here with our texture voters. Nathan, who was your number four? Uh, I'm sticking with the tight end theme, and I picked Jeremy Ruckert for my number four player. And it's obviously Jeremy Ruckert is a very, very good football player already. He's a very, very good tight end already. But we also, as I was talking before about the receivers, he was, you could think of him as a tandem before with Luke Farrell. Luke Farrell is no longer there. We don't know exactly what Cade Stover will be. I think Jeremy Rucker has to change a little bit this year. I think, as you were mentioning before, you know, Farrell was thought of as more as the true inline blocker, the more tr conventional tight end, although Rucker really wasn't like so much of a receiver that he broke out of that just tight end mold himself. But now I think Ruckert has to just be more of that tandem by himself. Not that he can do two people's job, but that they have to be able to rely on his versatility and be him being both things even more than they have before. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert was second to last among the options I put out on offense. Um, Steven, I'm curious to see where you hear. Did you have Ruckert in your top five, Steven? I didn't, but I would have if Chris Olave didn't come back because that makes him who quarterback X is most second, most reliable option just based on the catches from last season. But because Chris Olave is back, I mean, how is he going to have 20 catches? Okay. That's Let's okay. Here's my question. And mostly for Nathan, because you put him on your list. Do you think Jeremy Rucker needs to get better as a player? Sure. Or do you think they just need to use him more? I think he's good. The second, the second is true. The second is so true, but I think it's if not about him. Yeah. So that's why I didn't put him on my list because he doesn't need to raise his game. He's got great hands and he showed last year. He's a really good blocker. He's there. They have to decide to use him more. Yeah. So that's, this is to me a player list. Like, like if Ryan day, like brought players in, it was like, Hey man, if we really need you to do, you know, like, we need you to raise your game. Who are the guys that Ryan Day would call into his office and say, we need you to raise your game? I don't know what a raise your game conversation looks like with Jeremy Rucker. Because if Ryan Day if Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson sat down with Jeremy Rucker and said, hey, man, we really need you, and Jeremy Rucker would be like, I can do that. 
I need you to let me do it. Mm. Last year, you asked me to block. I blocked my butt off. Have you seen what happens when you do throw me the ball? Have you seen the one hand catch highlights? That's there every snap. This isn't on me. I'm calling a meeting with you guys. So that's why he's not on my list. They, I think they could use more production from Jeremy Ruckert, but I don't consider that a Jeremy Ruckert issue. Nathan, go ahead. No, I, I see where you're coming from on that. I think he can force the issue, though, with a little bit. And uh, again, like I said, I think just more of the all of that, it does come down to him more this year than it's ever been just on his shoulders before. That just just what the tight end does in this offense is Jeremy Ruckert in 2021. Unless you true. think J- Kate Stover really makes this jump. No, that is true. I agree with that. His role should expand. I think he is eminently ready for it. And and like I don't think there's more that like he needs to do in practice or like if they said to him, work on this. Right. I, I don't I don't know what it would be because to be the other thing now, listen, it's like, well, what would you tell Garrett Wilson to work on? Well, you know, I, I would tell Garrett Wilson to work on stuff so that he can be a Heisman finalist. Like, I don't think Jeremy Ruckert's going to be a Heisman finalist. Like if I said if I said I think Wilson's an eight who can be a 10, he has a two point jump still to make. I think maybe I think Ruckert's like an eight who's an eight. Or whatever you know what I mean like I'm not trying to like besmirch Jeremy Rucker I just used as a four exactly yes it's like he's an eight talent who's used as a four and for him to be an eight production he has the eight talent he needs to be given the an eight opportunity that's a, I think that's exactly right Stephen so that's why I didn't have him but yes more Jeremy Rucker yes I agree whoever you put that on more Jeremy Rucker in this offense I think is necessary in 2021 all right that's nathan's four we have steven's three now we're to our other threes all right my three is julian fleming and i have another receiver higher than him so this is coming from he didn't do anything last year and i think he has to do something this year like like i don't I don't think it's make or break. Listen, Steven, you're going to have to, I'm going to have to like turn off your video. No, I'm genuinely, I'm genuinely interested. I'm he was genu- a zero. He was a right. zero. I'm genuinely interested in this. Especially since you said there's another wide receiver higher. I'm genuinely interested. So there's a, so he's a zero. He was a zero last year, mostly on opportunity, but when they gave him an opportunity, he didn't really do that much. Right. And they threw him a bunch of the, they threw him the ball early in the Northwestern game just to like get him easy catches, but he didn't really do anything with it. He just caught the ball that hit him in the chest, whatever. No offense. He's a freshman receiver, but he was the best receiver in the country. And I think he has a role in this offense. Now, if he's not great, does it kill him? But like, if he's a nothing again, that's not good. I don't think, I don't, I don't think that would be good. And I think he has the opportunity to do a lot. So, all right, Steven, are you scrunching up your face because you have him even higher on your list or because you don't have him on your list? Because I don't have him on my list, but I do. Th- I, I, I think we've approached this differently. I think your list right now, just from the names I've heard, it's imagine how much higher the ceiling on this team gets if this guy hits and if this guy hits. I looked at the entire receiver group and went, they don't really have to do anything. They can do exactly what they did last year because Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are going to get the targets. Which is why it's I get interesting. That, that, that they're just going to throw the two guys and like nobody else in the receiver room matters again. So you think, so if Jer- if Julian Fleming gives them exactly what he gave them last year, they're fine. Yeah. Just because I mean, obviously it'll be a little bit. Yeah. A little bit here and there. Maybe he has a game just because it's a, longer season than eight games where he has five or six games. But for the most part, yeah, him, Jackson, that whole group can just do exactly what they did last year because Ohio State has arguably the two best wide receivers in the country. Do you agree with that line of thinking, Nathan, that like they have two, they have the two best receivers in America. So who cares what the third and fourth best receivers do? Uh, I don't because we saw last year what could potentially happen if one of those guys isn't there. I think they have their 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 third, fourth options, whatever, have to be better in 2021. It's not like it was a huge deficiency on a game to game basis when everybody's healthy, but you can't necessarily assume that in college football. I think those freshman guys do have to take a step up. The other thing I would point out is I had Julian Fleming third on my list as well. 
And it wasn't so much that the, yes, the opportunity wasn't there, but the story on the things that we're taking note of with Julian Fleming as much last season as anything were, he was getting opportunities and he was dropping the ball. Like there were two that come to my mind, like big drops over the course of his season. He didn't have that many targets. And then, yeah, he had kind of that, you know, uh, some production in the first half against Northwestern that got turned into, Hey, he's, he's arrived or whatever. Um, and I have some of the same, like, I think I look at that the same way you do, Doug. Like I need to see that more consistently and I need to see that in a, a bigger way. Now he made some other contributions. Um, there was some special team stuff. I'm not completely throwing the guy under the bus. And I think that because of his background, the offense he played in, in, in high school, people saw the talent ceiling for him, but I think they were, regardless of Wilson and Olave, there was almost some baked in like, Hey, this is a guy that might need that year of adjustment to really get to where he's yeah. going, but he's had that year now. So we need to see more of what Julian Fleming is supposed to be in 2021. And I think that opportunity will be there as much as I do agree that I still think that the, the load of the targets goes to Wilson and Olave in this offense are going to be playing more games. They're going to play in those non-conference games early on where there's going to be opportunity for the, for them to get deeper into the rotation and give those guys targets, give those guys reps and opportunities to be on the field. And he needs to flash something. He didn't really flash anything in a lot of ways in 2020. In 2019, Justin Jefferson had 111 catches. Jamar Chase had 84. The next wide receiver, there was a 40 catch difference. Last season, wait, say the number. What do you mean a 40 catch difference? How many did he have? 40. Terrence Marshall Jr. had 46. So, sorry, 38 catch so, difference. In okay. Okay. So, say the overall numbers again. The LSU guys in 2019, how many overall catches did their top three guys have? That's not even that their top three guys or their top three wide receivers. Top three the top wide three, receivers. Okay. Top three okay wide receivers. Yeah. Because the top three guys would have been Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Justin Jefferson had 111 catches. And this is an offense where they threw it 527 times to the starting quarterback. Jamar Chase had 84 catches. Okay. Terrence Marshall Jr. is fifth overall in catches behind a tight end and a, and a running back with 46 catches. So 46 catches is a lot. It is, but also 527 passes. I don't think this starting quarterback's throwing it 527 times. So I'll even add, I'll even add in with Mac Jones. That's 402, which I also don't think this quarterback is going to get to. 402 attempts. Devonta Smith, 117 catches. Number two was John Mechie. 55 catches. And then Jalen Waddle, who missed half the season, had 28 catches. And then so what's Slayton, your point? He's saying that the third receiver is not important at all. Because, well, I no, think we need to also remember what stepping up can mean to, to different people. And I'm saying that, that again, it's not as much how many receptions does he get, it's what does he do when he's on the field? What kind of a threat does he present when he's on the field? And don't forget, this is there's something to be said here about development, too. I don't think we can be going into 2022 wondering if Julian Fleming's a good football player. They, I'm not saying that, I'm just saying I don't think they're in the top five of guys who need to raise their game because. When your top two options are the best two receivers in the country, as we've seen with the best passing offenses the last two years, those two guys get the ball. Everybody else gets the leftovers. And it's how it's how they affect the team in 2021. It's like who the Buckeyes need to step up. So if the idea is long term, Julian Fleming needs to show you something because he's really going to be relied on in 2022. But if he doesn't do that much in 2021, does it matter to them? So that's Stephen's point. Does it matter? Is it going to I keep think, them from winning the national title in 2021 if Julian Fleming's a non-factor? But the Alabama example is why the third receiver is so important, because that was John Mechie. He wasn't the number two receiver. He was the number three receiver. He had to step up and be something better. So, so we're banking it on somebody getting injured? I mean, you yeah, can do that's that in every a, I mean, single position. I'm not somebody, it on that. I'm just saying that's, that's exactly the example, example you're using, because Mechie wouldn't have gotten those catches. He still was almost, He still was 50 catches behind De- Devontae Smith. Had, had Waddle not gotten hurt, I bank on at least 30 of those catches that John Mechie had would have won the Waddle, maybe even more than that, because Waddle was leading this team in catches before he got hurt. So you can't just bank it on if somebody gets hurt, Julian. Yeah, if, if Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson gets hurt, then either Jackson Smith, Nick Jigba, or Julian Fleming's going to have to step up and play in that role. But worse, I can't assume that. I have to assume that what, based on what they have personnel-wise, those two guys are going to get the ball. And everybody else, maybe someone gets – 20 catches just because it's more games. And for the most part, it's those two guys and nothing or nothing. But you don't, you guys don't think, or I actually Doug had him third. So I think he kind of thinks maybe the same way I do. But if, if you see something from, if, if Julian Fleming and another or another receiver steps up and starts playing great, 
that that doesn't add a dimension to this offense. It adds a dimension, but I don't think it's a top five dimension. I think it's more of a bonus, whatever they give this year, than a need. They need this guy to step up. It's just if he does it, then that's one extra weapon people have to worry about. But the two first weapons are most important. I mean, on Steven's side of the ledger, Nathan, it's like, okay, I agree. The the main argument can't be, well, what if one of the two best guys gets hurt? Because anybody could get hurt. And the other thing is the idea of like, well, it's not only about does he have any catches? Is is he a threat on the field? We're not going to measure that. We're only going to measure production. So if like if Julian Fleming is on the field, like running great routes, when they throw to Garrett Wilson, we're not going to notice it. We're going to notice whether he does anything, whether they throw him the ball. And when they throw him the ball, does he catch it? Right. Yes, except I don't think like take the take Jackson Smith and Jigba from 2020. His production is minuscule. His production. Go look at his numbers like they're not impressive at all. Like he was getting he, he had a few catches and he doesn't average many yards per catch. I mean, it's not that much, but he flashed things out there. You saw something you saw what he could be and you saw what I think he could be. Well, he'll come up maybe later on my list, maybe later on yours. I, I, there's something interesting there that he could that he's already flashing at. And Julian Fleming has not done that yet. I'm not worried about flashing when we're trying to win a national championship. I'm worried about production and the production is going to go through those two guys. So Alabama's second game of the year, when they announce themselves as they're back, the tide is back, right? They told the world they blew Texas A&M off the field, right? In that game, Devonte Smith, six catches for 63 yards, Jalen Waddle, five catches for 142 yards, John Mechie, five catches, 181 yards, and two touchdowns as their third best receiver. So the Alabama example gets a little screwy because they did lose their most talented receiver. And, and guess what happened? Mm-hmm. Other guys did step up in the absence of their most talented receiver, which is a point that Nathan is making. But also, I don't think it's the primary point. The primary point on a list like this is what not what if somebody else gets hurt? That offense functioned at a high level early on when it was humming, 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 humming. It had three threats. It had three real threats. And in the second game of the year, their third best receiver was the most productive receiver because I don't know what Texas A&M did in that game exactly, but they had three guys who would murder you and who did murder you. And I do think the idea that Ohio State goes from two wide receivers who will murder you to three wide receivers who will murder you is a leap opportunity for this team. Now on Steven's side, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Steven. It might be Rucker. Like Rucker's probably like, okay, well we already have three guys on the field every snap who will murder you. It doesn't matter if the third receiver is the guy, because Rucker will murder you, you or we're going to hand off to this guy. So I get to that point at all, but, and there's a, as, as Nathan said, there's a, we don't want to have all of this conversation now because we want to have Something part of this well. conversation with somebody else. So let's save the rest of that conversation because it applies to Julian Fleming, but it also applies elsewhere. So Julian Fleming third for Nathan third for me third for the texters. Not on Steven's list. So we were in agreement on that. Steven, who do you have third? Kate Stover. We... Oh, yeah. You have, you have yeah, Kate Stover third. Yeah. Matthew Jones fourth. Garrett Wilson fifth. Nathan has Julian Fleming third. I can't read my Jamie hand. Ruckert. Jeremy Ruckert fourth. Cade Stover fifth. I had Fleming third. Cade Stover fourth. Garrett Wilson fifth. So we're at number two. Steven, who's your number two? Paris. Paris Johnson, wherever he, whether he's at left tackle or left guard, it's, I mean, he showed it. He didn't show it already in the Clemson game. He showed us what he can do. Let's, let's, it's, let's do that for 15 games now. And I just, it's also, I, I did, there is a part of me now with what just happened with Harry Miller last year and also what happened, Nick, Nicholas Petit for not winning a job as a true sophomore of at offensive line more than any other place, even when you're a five star. Can you go through growing pains if they throw you out there as a, as a second-year guy? So here's why Paris Johnson makes a lot of sense. Here's why he's not on my list, because I assume it's going to happen. Yeah, I know. It's, I, it's, I know, I know, I know. And yeah, I, which is a part, which is, which is a version. It's a different application, but it's a version of the record argument. It's like, it's like call Paris in. It's like, Paris, okay, man, come on. 
You were the best tackle in the country in high school. We begged you to come here. We put you out there for like four snaps. You crushed a dude. A lot of highlight that people still play. Come on, man. We need more from you. He's like, I got it. What are you talking about? Just put me out there. And I swear to God, it's fine. I didn't put him on my list because I'm assuming it. And maybe it's an unfair assumption because to your point, Steven, they put a five-star on the field last year as a sophomore and told him to be a starter. And it wasn't great all the time. So it is perhaps an unfair assumption, but I have a higher expectation level for Paris Johnson than I did for Harry Miller. I don't, I don't, I just think if I think Paris Johnson is like the closest thing to Orlando pace that has come through the Ohio state offensive line room in the last 25 years or 30 years, right. Then I, he's not on my list. Cause I'm like, yeah, well they need Paris Johnson to step up. It's like, what do you mean? Step up this guy, this like hardworking, super intelligent, ridiculous athlete who can play tackle or guard or journalist. Or journalist, he's going to crush people and then write a story about it. I don't have him on my list because he's assumed. Nathan, was he on your list? He was on my list, and then I crossed him off, and then I put him even higher on my list, and then I crossed him off. And ultimately, I came to where you did, I think, Doug. It's that when I look at what I envision as Paris Johnson's floor for 2021, I think that's still enough to make this a really great offensive line. I just, I think, and you guys are all right. I am not going to deny that and have an argument of what if he doesn't get there? I think he's going to get there, but it's, and you need him to get there. It's just, he's, you need him to be exactly what you think he's going to be, especially since, okay, he can play the tackle or guard. He's a left tackle and he's not going to be playing left tackle this year. He's sure. going to be playing left guard. Just like Harry Miller is a, is a five-star center who was playing left guard last year after spending his entire freshman year as the second string center. So and we'll get to Harry Miller, but just the fact that five star at this specific position and he's not playing it and he's in his second year, we just need him. We need, they need Paris to be everything that we all think Paris is. And that's why he's high. You know, Taylor Decker as a young tackle who went on to be a first round pick, like got taken apart by Khalil Mack in one of the first games he ever started. And it was like, oh, my God, what's wrong with Taylor Decker? And it was like, okay, well, one is he's very young. Two is Khalil Mack is one of the best edge rushers in college football the last two decades. And number three is it'll be fine. It'll be fine. But like in that game, like him getting taken apart by Khalil Mack had a negative effect on Ohio State. That was Buffalo. So it didn't cost him the game. But even as good as I I do think, Stephen, this is a good reminder. And I'm I've done watched this enough that like even the five stars aren't perfect off the start. They're not. So for me to be like "Ah, Paris, he's an All-American from day one. I mean, that's probably unrealistic because number two on my list is Harry Miller. Because. He was given the opportunity to not be great every game, which Paris has not been yet given the opportunity to do. So I've been reminded with my own eyeballs, ah, Harry Miller, not great all the time, but actually he's a year, he's a year more experienced than Paris. He probably has a better chance to get it done right now as a veteran. Right. But I've seen it. And like, if, if Ryan day called Harry Miller into his office for a, we need more from you discussion, they could put up Harry Miller's film from 2020 and say, we need you to step up. We need you to raise your level. And there's not that kind of film with Paris. So Harry is number two for me. And I think he could have been number one. Nathan, where'd you have Harry Miller? Number one. Steven, where'd you have him? Number one, because he's playing center, which I mean, that makes it in the Michigan state game exists. We all saw that. And now he's moving the center full time, but also it's a first time quarterback, uh, maybe a first time starting running back. That relationship needs to mesh immediately. The makeup of last year's offensive line gave the opportunity for Harry Miller to have the kind of season he had in a way. Mm -hmm. You had two guys at tackle who emerged in the way they did. You had a guy at center and a guy at right guard who were going to be in the NFL this fall. So you could bring a sophomore in have him change positions and there's going to be some growing pains there but it isn't going to completely capsize that offensive line they could still have a very productive offense while he kind of learned on the job a little bit this year he has to be a stabilizing force on this offensive line they really can't waver on him and he's moving we think moving back to that natural position and playing center from here on in 
And now he's going to have a definite, like, first-time real starter at one guard spot, depending on where Matthew Jones or whoever goes. And then on the other side of him, it's going to be a tackle playing guard, we think. It's either going to be Paris Johnson or if he shoves one of those other guys over, but it's going to be a guy playing out of position next to him. So I think that increases the responsibility on Harry Miller to come out and have just a, a more stable season. He's the most experienced interior lineman they have coming back based off starts. 52% runaway winner, runaway winner for our Texas, Harry Miller, number one guy on the offense that they need to raise his game. So Steven, you're in the house. Steven's list for offense, Harry Miller, number one, Paris Johnson, number two, Cade Stober, number three, Matthew Jones, number four, Garrett Wilson, number five. So heavy on the offensive line, as you said, because you have a belief in the skill position, guys. I have a guy left. I have him at number one. Nathan, I think you have him at number two. Who is your number two, Nathan? My number two is Jackson Smith and Jigba. He's my number one. And it is under the idea of if, and and part of it is, is it's the thing I threw in Nathan's face before. It's like, well, we're only going to measure it on production. We're not going to actually measure it in like on route running technique. And we're going to break down the, the we're going to, how much does he, What's his, what's his production? And it's perhaps his production will be limited or tempered because Olave and Wilson are going to get the ball so much. If Jackson Smith and the Jigba makes the kind of leap from freshman year to sophomore year that Garrett Wilson made, I, can't, I mean, what are people going to do? If you look at this Ohio State offense and say, Chris Olave is the best receiver in the country, Garrett Wilson's the second best receiver in the country. And like Jackson Smith and the Jigba's in the top 10. What yeah, he- are you going to do against this offense? And it's to your point, Nathan, I'll let you go. What he showed us in his limited moments last year makes me think that kind of leap is possible for Jackson Smith and the Jigba in 2021. The, the flashes that he put out there of just body control and, and skills on the ball, I thought were impressive. They were limited, but they were impressive. And the other thing I want to bring up as far as, and, and I've advocated that this offense is still going to, again, the, the majority of receptions are going to go through those top two guys as they should, the majority of targets. But the other thing to remember about why that happened in 2020 was not just because Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are great. It's because the other options, it was either Jamison Williams who I think is a a solid receiver. And then these freshmen were freshmen. They were true freshmen. They weren't there yet. I don't, you know, they had a limited off season. Even if they hadn't, they were still going to be true freshmen who just weren't there yet. I want to know what these guys are, what these guys are a year later after a full spring, after a full off season, what those guys could be at the start of their sophomore season, I think is really intriguing. And if you, if one of those guys hits, and that's why I had both of them on this list and you could probably add G Scott since we didn't see a lot from him as a true freshman, like add any of those guys, Guys, if one of those, if those guys step up and are playing at a whole nother level than they were as freshmen, then I, I agree with what Doug is saying. And especially for a first time starting, very little experienced quarterback, whoever that's going to be, the multitude of options, I think, is is huge because teams are going to try to take away a lot of Wilson as much as they can. And that's not going to that's not an easy thing to do. But throwing any anytime you can get that third and fourth option on the field, it, it helps that quarterback. I think COVID is kind of annoying in this situation because we're not sure which way to lean with that. Why Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson got the ball? How much of it was because they're awesome, and how much of it was because of COVID? Like, how much was that? I because I remember back in the summer when we were having a discussion about Ohio State potentially having two thousand yard wide receivers on the team, and that was just philosophy based on they're just going to scrap the six man rotation. And we're, now we can't really just say for sure which one. What was it? Was it this was always the plan, or was it you know just circumstance that made you do it? Especially if they go back to the six man rotation next year. Um, I understand it. I, I, if a third wide receiver emerges itself, then yeah, it creates a whole nother set of problems for a defensive coordinator to have to deal with. I think it's interesting that nobody picked Jamison Williams because I just think John Mechie for Alabama was their deep ball threat in that situation. He was their Jamison Williams where it's minimal catches, a lot of yards, Jamison Williams, nine catches, 154 yards. It's only one less catch than what Jackson Smith and the Jigba had. I think from a fit standpoint, that makes more sense. And they're all kind of in the same boat. So it's just interesting that the two guys you two picked are the two guys who are their second year, not a guy who was also a top 100 recruit who was in his third year. It's true. It's true. It's like I, I'm like giving up on Jamison Williams, maybe unfairly. He didn't do anything last year. 
mean, mm-hmm. like, no offense, but it's like, I don't know if they didn't, if Justin Fields didn't look at him or whatever. He was on the field a decent amount and they, he didn't do anything. I mean, he had that one, did he have one big catch deep he late in the year? had a couple, no, no, he had one against Rutgers too, where that, that was drawn up for him. Um, go deep, and it was him and Rutgers on the same side, and Rutgers came in for a post to take the safety oh, right. with him. He did some stuff. It's just he wasn't a freshman, and so we all have this tendency of the five-star. He Jackson Smith, catch a game. He averaged he did. one catch a game. And Jackson Smith the Jigba basically averaged a catch a game. He had one more catch than him. It's just Jackson Smith the Jigba's catch was a little louder because it was a toe-touch tap in the end zone that didn't even look like it was a catch at on first glance. No. That's not, I'm not, don't, I'm not like getting stars in my eyes over a catch, over a single catch. Uh, unless I am, I'm going to make, I'm going to look it up. Let me look it up. I, I'm talking about like production based, com- production compared to opportunity and like flash compared to opportunity. So I'm going to our friends at 11 Warriors. I'm going to snaps at receiver. Garrett Wilson, 471. Chris Olave, 441. Jamison Williams, 308. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, 163. So Jamison Williams played 140 more snaps and had one more catch. So that's why. So, like, I don't want to, don't throw like, oh, Jamison Williams, Jackson Smith, the Jigba had fewer catches than Jamison Williams. Jamison Williams was on the field a lot, didn't do anything. Jackson Smith, the Jigba was on the field every now and then and didn't do as much. But I thought, sort of when he was out there, there were moments when he flashed something. So that's now your point about the style of receiver they are, right? Mm-hmm. If you're working sort of now, Olave and Wilson both can be deep threats, right? Chris Olave is yeah. a deep. So, but I don't want to turn Chris Olave into only a deep threat, right? So uh, that, that idea of like, listen, you're just going to work Olave and Wilson everywhere. And you're going to tell Jamison Williams to run down the field as fast as he can and every now and then you'll throw him a deep ball, that that might fit the structure of the offense better, whereas Jackson Smith the Jigba is a slot guy, and then does that put Garrett outside, but then who's running the deep routes? I get that. I think that's an interesting point that you made, Stephen. I just didn't think – I mean, to me, if Jamison Williams – I think Jamison Williams had the opportunity to do more last year than he did. I don't think Jackson Smith the Jigba, Nathan, had the opportunity to do, to do more last year than he did, which is why I'm putting more on him this year when I think – even though like everybody's back, I'm sort of moving on from Jamison Williams because I think Jackson Smith Najigba might pass him in snap count as they move the receivers around. Yeah, and again, I, I agree not putting too much emphasis on one catch, the one catch against Nebraska in the back of the end zone. Like you don't want to turn that into a guy's whole career. However, when guys are on the field as freshmen and they do something that you think, oh, I don't know who else on the re- who else can do that? Like, I'm pretty sure nobody else on the other team can do that. And there may only be one or two guys on even at a team as talented as Ohio State that could do that. I don't, that just to me, that that's something in the back of your head that makes you think, what if that converges in a, in a, in this, after again, a whole nother year later, what if he can package that more consistently on the field? He's also the guy that I think makes this receiver group the most interesting. If he hits in a big way as a sophomore, I think that, you can now, now, now just imagine an offense where that, like him making that jump that you talked about before, that kind of Garrett Wilson freshman and sophomore jump, he makes that. You put him at the slot and then you put Olave and Wilson outside as like the optimal receiver group when they really need it at whatever point, whether that's starting or whether that's just the crucial times. I, I just, that seems like a, a matchup fiasco for defenses. I will agree with that point. Him more than anybody else making that jump is what will allow Garrett to move around because you have somebody you trust coming in in the slot. Because if, if we had a KJ Hill situation, then Garrett's going to be in that slot. He's going to do. That's where you're going to be, buddy. But I think Jackson Smith, the Jigba, making that jump opens the offense. So I will agree with that point. All right. That's, that's, that's our, uh, that's our uh, final offensive players who need to step up to recap what the texters said. Oh, I want to get to this guy a little bit before we get out of here because we did not mention him. And he's number two. For the texters. So the texter list was number one, Harry Miller, number three, Julian Fleming, number four, Paris Johnson, number five, Jackson Smith, Najigba. Nathan, who do you think was number two for the texters that we have not mentioned even once so far? Master Teague. Master Teague is number two for the texters. Now, the three of us didn't push Master Teague because, again, we are on to the next. 
We're just like, ah, that nah, doesn't matter if he's better than Trayvon Henderson. Right, well, Nathan? Uh, yes, but also we've seen Master Teague for two years. I've been a Master Teague defender in a lot of ways, but even I will say I think that he is what he is. I don't know that he's going to go out and remake himself. And I think he does what he does pretty well, but I think it's, it is what he is. Need is about, do we one believe that he can take that next step, but also does he literally is the guy behind him that bad that they absolutely relying on him. And that's not the case. There's a five-star running back behind you who can just get the ball and another top one running back behind him who can give the ball to if Travion's not ready. So now, now to be fair, to be fair here, yes, it's a crowded running back room, but it's Master Teague who's played important college football snaps. It's Marcus Crowley, Steel Chambers, and Mayan Williams who really have not played important college football snaps other than the two-carry Mayan Williams moment where he did what he needed to do in the playoff, and it was great. And two true freshmen. So we are very quickly... Now, we think he is what he is, and if he doesn't get any better, they have all these other options. We think they're going to do trivia on Henderson, but also Nathan Achilles. Could he be better because he's fully healthy, 18 months removed from that, and he can be a different player, and that if he is, you all of a sudden take a lot of pressure off all these unknowns that we are assuming good things about when he's the only guy in that room that's ever done anything on a college football field. And there you get into almost sort of the the pushback I was getting about Rucker, where it's like, well, the Achilles, like you can't ask him to be more healthy. He just will be more healthy. Like that's not really necessarily in his control. I, to me, for Master Teague, it's not necessarily uh, what. Yeah, he's the. I just don't know what you're going to go ask him to do that he hasn't done before. I mean, he's a really strong downhill runner. After those first couple of the games, he was doing a lot better job with his vision and hitting holes. Uh, he's a more solid and. Um, reliable receiver out of the backfield than I think he gets credit for. I think he's good at all those things, decent blocker, all those things, but I, I just think he might be at the ceiling. You were talking before, like the gaps between eight and 10 or seven and nine, like he might be, you know, he might be able to get to a six and a half, seven, and he's pretty much right there, isn't he? No, and I think, and I didn't really think about putting him in my top five at all. I, I didn't think about no. it at all. Yeah. I think, what did I say on the last pod? His, his floor and his ceiling might be the same thing. Yeah. So I think we're in agreement on that. I think it's also possible we're all wrong and the textures are right. I think that's out there. So I don't want to be dismissive of that because the textures, 52% Harry Miller. And again, it was vote for one guy on this list. It wasn't rank. 52% Harry Miller, 22% Master Teague, 7% each Julian Fleming and Paris Johnson. So that's how above and beyond Master Teague was. He was by far the number two pick. Harry Miller was by far number one. And the three of us all dismissed him kind of for the same reason. So let's be on alert for that. We know where the texters are coming from and their view of it. If he is, and I know what you're saying, Nathan, it's not up to his. It's not all his control about the injury, but I still could see in the meeting, the Ryan Day meeting master. Listen, man, we know you were fighting it last year. You know, Trey came in on top of you. You never felt like yourself, but you're the veteran in the room. You're fully healthy now. And we need you to be better than you've ever been. We need you to be. We have not yet seen the best of Master Teague. I can envision a meeting like that. And Nathan, I know what you're saying. I mean, how much is there? But I could see Ohio State asking for it. A, because they think there's some room there. And B, because they think they need it. I, I see what you're saying. I actually think that the, where he is going to help this team the most, because I think he gets, if we get to the end of this season and the running back room underwhelmed, I think it will be unfortunate if that gets pinned on master Teague, because at Ohio state, I don't know that he's the guy that in this room that that should, the expectation should be that he's supposed to go out and play at like some kind of all American level and, and rescue that room. I, I And I think where he's going to help this team the most is what you're talking about a little bit is being the veteran. We know about his work ethic. We know about his, his personality and his attitude. And I think those are the things that when we, I, I would not be shocked at all if we're in like a, a playoff situation at the end of this year and you've got guys like Trayvon Henderson and Evan Pryor talking about what they got from the example of Marcus Teague or Master Teague and how that made them better this year. All right. So those are our lists. Thanks to the texters for helping out with that. Good stuff. Again, Stephen, Harry Miller, Paris Johnson, Cade Stover, Matthew Jones, Garrett Wilson, Nathan, 
Harry Miller, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Julian Fleming, Jeremy Ruckert, Cade Stover. Me, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, Harry Miller, Julian Fleming, Cade Stover, Garrett Wilson. So a lot in the same range on that kind of thing. Steven leaned a little more offensive line. Nathan and I leaned a little more skill guy, but we're all kind of in the same range on a lot of this. I think we'll be all over the place on defense, which will be the podcast that you guys hear on Tuesday. Um, again, as you heard at the start, we were originally going to slam these two together and we went so long on offense. We're making this offense. We're going to come back on Tuesday and give you the same kind of discussion on the defensive side of the ball. Thanks to you guys for being a part of it. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Read us at cleveland.com slash OSU and uh, drop a review at Apple Podcasts. We certainly would take that. So um, thanks to you guys for listening. For Stephen and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.